This is Outside In and I'm Charles Travail and today I'm with Tony Capuano. Tony is the Chief Executive Officer of Marriott International, the world's biggest hospitality organization. And if I've got these numbers right, Tony, 8,000 hotels, 1.5 million rooms, 31 brands in 139 countries. Thank you for giving us the time. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Charles. Tony, you're an optimist, I think. I've listened to you speak, and you're very optimistic about travel and hospitality at this moment in time. We're just coming up to the holiday season, the end of the year. Where's the optimism coming from for 2023? The optimism comes from a few sources. Uh, we, as, as a company, are quite data-driven. From a data perspective, the first three quarters of this year, we had tremendous recovery, as evidenced by occupancy growth. In the third quarter, we got to nearly 70% global occupancy, and I think we were 69. And even that 69 was with much of greater China, our second biggest market in the world, still largely locked down. RevPAR continues to grow. And perhaps one of the, the things that empirically gives me the most optimism is we've seen strong recovery trends in each of the segments we serve. The early days of the recovery were largely led by the leisure segment. That leisure segment has continued to be exceedingly strong. And I'm often asked whether we think we've gotten to the bottom of that pool of pent-up leisure demand. Our data would suggest that's not the case. Group has been exceedingly strong in its recovery in many markets, exceeding demand and RevPAR levels we saw back in 2019. And even Business Transient, which has been the slowest of the three segments to recover, we've seen a couple things. We've seen small and medium-sized businesses recover to pre-pandemic levels of demand. And while the larger multinationals, the urban companies, have not come all the way back, I think in the third quarter, U.S. business transient travel was down only about 11% to 2019, whereas we were down close to 30% at the start of the year. All of the data that we see continues to be strong, not just from a guest perspective, but from an investor perspective. I think it was both the first and second quarter of this year, we saw record levels of New Deal approvals and signings which would suggest that our owner and franchisee community continues to have a high level of optimism about the continued recovery of travel. Maybe the last thing I would say is that these macro trends that we've observed, one that I've talked about quite a bit is a blending of trip purpose. And where we really see that is in day of the week booking patterns. Thursday and Sunday used to be what we'd call shoulder days, those are actually the days that have recovered most quickly. And what that illustrates is that more and more travelers have learned by necessity during the pandemic that they can work from anywhere. It may be a little suboptimal, but they can do it. And so now a trip they would have passed on with their family, they're saying, I'll do that. I may disappear for three or four hours to do some Teams calls from my guest room, but I'm going to make that trip. The other macro trend that gives me enormous optimism, and this was one that emerged well before the pandemic, there seems to be a consumer shift away from investing in hard goods towards investing in experiences. And to me, the most exciting part of that shift, pre-pandemic, it was probably more heavily weighted towards younger travelers. 
the pandemic acted as an accelerant to that shift across multiple generations. And so you throw all that empirical and, and qualitative data into the blender. To me, it's hard not to be enormously optimistic about the long-term future of travel and tourism. That's great to hear all of that data, Tony. And travel is now an important part of people's social identity. No question. Probably more than the clothes they wear or the car they drive nowadays. I, would, I mean, certainly the work we, we do, we've seen that. Well, and you see it everywhere. Yeah. You and I had a chance to talk about uh, White Lotus on HBO. We did. I think a big part <laughs> of the appeal of that program is it gives people visibility into destinations they might like to visit. Let's talk about loyalty, which I know is a huge part of your business. And I've watched the hospitality industry moving from being, if I can say in the past, product focused, beds focused, and the travel industry being seats and beds to being guest focused. And you now have, I don't know the numbers, but I believe it's one of the biggest loyalty programs in your category. I think you have about 170 million guests on there. Yeah, it's, it is the largest by a wide measure. It's about 173 million. I was astonished. I checked Starbucks is 26 million. So you, you have an astonishing asset there with your program, the Bonvoy program. How do you see that? How do you see that asset? How, it, you know, as a business leader, how are you, if I say, uh, I won't use the word exploit, but it, you, you know what I mean. How are you maximizing the asset to ensure that the customer is getting the most they possibly can from your organization? I'd start by saying that that program is both a privilege to have that connection with our guests and a responsibility. It cannot simply be a platform for commerce. We have to continue to evolve that relationship with our members in a way where it moves from transactional to more and more emotional. That guest, as soon as they start thinking about travel, should be engaging through the Bonvoy platform. And ideally, we can satisfy as many of their travel needs pre, during, and post-trip as possible. One of the most interesting things and maybe revealing things about the power and potential of that platform was the two years during the most intense period of the pandemic. If you think fundamentally, here we had a platform approaching 200 million members who all of a sudden were not traveling at all. So how do you stay engaged with that passionate base of members when your principal point of interaction with them has evaporated almost overnight? And so we did a few things. We continued to work with our branded credit card partners to create all sorts of limited time offers and specials and incentives to keep them engaged that way. In the heat of the pandemic, we launched a partnership with Uber that allowed our guests, even if they were jumping in an Uber to run to the grocery store or to the doctor, to earn points and, and keep Bonvoy top of mind. We did all sorts of things to remind them that, knock on wood, we were going to get through this. And how did they think aspirationally about travel? in a world where the pandemic was in the rearview mirror. And so I think for all of us here at Marriott, it was a, a acute reminder of both the potential, but the responsibility that's involved in that very close relationship with all of those passionate members. The other thing I would say about the program, and I love this about it, they feel like they are us. They are part of us. 
So whether that is sending me these wonderful notes to point out a particularly extraordinary associate or interaction they've had in one of our hotels, reaching out when we've not met their expectations, not to simply complain, but because they care so deeply about the company and the program, and they want to make sure that I and the rest of the leadership team know when we've come up short. I go to events. I can't tell you the number of folks that immediately pull out their phone and flash it at me and say, look how many nights I have this year. Look how many points I have. There is real passion around that program. And it's that passion that leads me to say it's a responsibility to be the steward of that program. Yeah, it certainly looks like, I mean, I, I remember, go, I'll probably go back five years or maybe even longer, Tony, when there was a real battle between the online travel agents and the, the brand owners, if you like. And it looked for a little while like they were going to commoditize rooms even further. But, you know, the industry is kind of hit back, I would say. And uh, I know you have good relationships with all of those people, but there was a battle between is a room a commodity or is it a really a guest experience? It looks like you and your partners in this battle seem to be seem to be winning. I don't know if it feels like that to you, or maybe you haven't characterized it as a battle, but from the outside, it looked a bit like that. Yeah, I don't know that it's a battle. I mean, I, I have the opportunity to spend lots of time with the leaders of the, the online travel platforms. They are good partners of ours. They give us access to less frequent travelers who we might not have access to otherwise. They saw growth during the pandemic. Our direct channels grew more rapidly than the OTAs during the pandemic. So I I think our relationships and the manner in which we try to identify mutually beneficial ways to evolve our relationship is in a better place than maybe it's ever been. With that said, there are many advantages to booking direct. We want to do a good job of educating our members on those advantages. But at the end of the day, we control the stay. And so we have a, by definition, that's not a knock on the OTAs, but we have opportunities for a more intimate relationship with our guests than an online travel platform can have. And again, that's both an opportunity and a responsibility. So, Tony, I saw you launch recently a new product called Apartments by Marriott Bonvoy. Now, you'll know I'm a branding guy at heart. Right. So that had me intrigued. <laughs> you know, the Bonvoy brand is increasingly become, I mean, it is your loyalty brand, but it's also the, the thing that sits around that customer contact. And yet you have the Marriott brand that, has got 100 years of history behind it and a very good reputation. Are you a bit stuck on how to use these brands going forward? Are you, you absolutely clear on, on where you're heading with that? I'd say this. You've asked the question in a much more eloquent, kind way. Sometimes I get <laughs> a, a, a harder edge question, which is, how can you possibly have 31 brands? When are you going to divest yourself of some of those brands? And my answer is always consistent because I believe it. I love the breadth of choice that a 31 brand portfolio offers, not only to our guests, but to our owners and franchisees. However, if that's the model that you choose, we have a deep responsibility to ensure that there is a distinct, well-articulated positioning for each of those 31 brands. 
And if I shine a bright light on the portfolio, I'd probably give us an incomplete. We are working hard every day to ensure that each of those brands has that well-articulated, distinct positioning. The majority of the portfolio has achieved that goal and will continue to work to make sure we maintain that distinct positioning. There are some brands in the portfolio where we admittedly still have some work to do. So that's my macro answer. On the apartments platform, so much of what we do benefits from our industry-leading scale. I don't feel a burning need to add a portfolio or add a brand in pursuit of scale. I have scale. So when we add a new platform, it's to meet the needs of the constituents that I described. Certainly a new platform, if we're able to scale it, creates opportunities for our associates. It gives our owners and franchisees a way to continue to grow their development footprint with us. It obviously, for our guests, gives them more and more choices. And when we think about adding to the portfolio, we listen very closely to the wants and needs of our guests for different types of trip purposes in different geographies where we do business. And ultimately, when we evaluate the opportunity to add platforms, we do it if we think it is scalable and has the potential to be a profitable new revenue stream, which ultimately serves our shareholders. With apartments, one of the things we learned through the pandemic in particular, but we were even seeing this move pre-pandemic for very specific types of trip purposes, homes, whether those are eight-bedroom castles in Ireland or three-bedroom condominiums on the beach in Maui, Hawaii, or as you've pointed out, an apartment with a full kitchen and laundry facilities. For specific trip purposes, that has the potential to better meet the needs of our guests. And for those 173 million Bonvoy members, I don't want them to ever have to look outside the ecosystem. And that drives our development strategy to make sure we're in every geographic destination where those members want to travel. And from a product perspective, there might be a very specific trip purpose where they say an apartment accommodation fits my needs much better. I don't want them to have to look outside the Marriott ecosystem to find that accommodation. What number would you give your organization out of 10 on, on innovation? Tony, there's aspects of your business that look highly innovative and there's, I know you're dealing with scale and some legacy, but where, where do you think you are on innovation? I'm going to avoid my knee-jerk reaction to give the team a 10 <laughs> because I, I see innovation embedded in the DNA of every corner of the enterprise. But I mentioned earlier that success is never final, so maybe I'll give us an eight or a nine. But I will tell you that the spirit of innovation is embedded in our history. And you look at all the areas where we were either first or one of the first to bring revenue management into the hospitality industry, to launch a loyalty platform, to pursue a multi-tier brand strategy. Innovation has been around as long as we've been in the hotel business, and it continues to be a significant driver of our efforts and our decision-making. And Tony, where are you looking for? I mean, it, it very broadly, is it in technology? Is it in people? Is it in room design, architecture? I mean, or is it a, a ser is it everything? Is there, there certain focus areas you're looking at? 
until you gave me all of the above, I was going to say <laughs> yes, 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 and yes. But it really is across the enterprise. I mean, I'm sitting here in our new headquarters in, in Bethesda, Maryland. Four floors above me is a state-of-the-art innovation lab. And if you were to visit that lab every month, you would see it's not for show. It is a working, breathing innovation lab where we are building and, and testing and, and trying out all sorts of new physical product innovations. Uh, if I went further in the tower to our technology team, they are working day and night to continue to innovate our technology platforms to improve the effectiveness of our associates, to further streamline the experience of our guests. Across the plaza, we have our new headquarters hotel, where we, Marriott International, actually leased a floor in the hotel, and we're building living, breathing, working sample rooms, where we'll be able to get our guests feedback on what's working in a new prototype and where we need to go back to the drawing board. So I think in every part of our business, you mentioned people, which I love to hear. We had our August board meeting in Boston, where you are, and we did a reception with our Boston area general managers. It was so exciting to me to hear the way they're innovating to try and attack some of the, the labor challenges we've seen during the recovery from the pandemic. Things that the industry's really not seen in the past, part-time managers, job share of management positions, all sorts of innovations, creative scheduling. I had a chance to meet with the U.S. Labor Secretary, Marty Walsh, and he talked about a, a phenomenon that he described as the need for employers to offer a bus stop schedule. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, you have lots of folks in the workforce that say, I want to work full time. I want to work hard but I want to watch my child get on the bus in the morning and I want to leave for an hour in the afternoon and make sure my child gets off the bus safely. That's not a schedule that historically fit particularly well in the hospitality industry, but you're seeing us innovate on the labor and scheduling side as well to accommodate the way the workforce is evolving. Let me ask you another question. I'm going to come back on the other side of this. I do a lot of work in climate change and sustainability. And I'm very conflicted on this particular issue myself. I'm on airplanes all the time and not enough people are offsetting, not enough people are doing because, you know, we're all using up that energy in order to do what we want as individuals. What is Marriott and maybe the hospitality industry? Is it doing enough to try and balance this issue where we are encouraging people to, to travel more? And yet we know when I look at my own carbon footprint, my flights in particular, it's just bad news for the environment. What, what's Marriott and the industry doing to try and push this agenda further forward faster? I'll answer that a few ways. One of the, the core principles, core values that guides our company is this notion of serving our world. But practically, one of the, the phrases that guides us is success is never final. So I think we're doing a great deal to try and do our part to improve the health of the planet. But are we doing enough? I'm not sure we're ever doing enough. I think about our business as serving four distinct sets of constituents. Our associates, which is how we describe our employees, our owner and franchisee community, our guests, and ultimately our shareholders. Again, I have the chance to talk with each of those constituents almost every day. There are fewer and fewer conversations that don't include a discussion about sustainability. 
Our associates care deeply. Our prospective future associates have lots of choices, and they want to align themselves with companies that don't just use flowery language to describe their aspirations, but they set significant goals for sustainability, and they can demonstrate meaningful progress against those goals. Our owners and franchisees have the same point of view. Our guests increasingly, whether it is special corporate agreements with business travelers, whether it is group contracts, whether it is a leisure traveler that's looking for opportunities to have an impactful stay, every one of those groups of guests care deeply about the health of the planet and what their hospitality provider is doing to enhance the health of their planet. Every investor meeting I had started with sustainability questions. So it is critically important. What are we doing? We have set some really ambitious goals. We've agreed to set science-based targets for temperature reduction. We have committed to get to net zero by no later than 2050. We are engaging with each of those constituents to try and move the needle. At the same time, we are working with governments in all of the roughly 140 countries that we do work because we recognize as much as we can do to achieve those aggressive goals, there have to be fundamental changes in the power grids around the world. Beyond that, we're very active on clean water initiatives in many markets around the world. We've committed by year end to have eliminated single-use plastics in our guest rooms, which will eliminate about 500 million tiny plastic bottles ending up in landfills around the world. So we are very active and engaged in a multi-front effort to try and do our part to enhance the health of the planet. Tony, what have you learned about yourself in the, the time you've been at CEO? You took over at a difficult time, obviously, with the passing of your previous leader. And I think you're pretty much in COVID when you took over as well. What's unexpected about the job? Or what have you found out about yourself that you maybe didn't know before? Well, most of my learnings relate to our people around the world. I knew our culture was strong. The crisis of Arnie's tragic passing coupled with the existential threat of the, the pandemic, reminded me that that culture is critical to our success. It's our true north. It guides us through the most difficult times. And the power and, and resilience of that culture was a tremendous learning for me over the last two years. I love the word resilience because it describes our associates around the world. The challenges that they've faced over the last few years would have been daunting to many folks. They tackled those challenges with alacrity. The things they did, even some of our furloughed associates, the efforts they made to take care of the hotels, to take care of their fellow associates, to pick up food from a hotel that was going to be temporarily shut down and would have spoiled otherwise and take it to a local shelter or a local food bank. I mean, just, I could give you thousands and thousands of stories. The morning of my appointment as CEO, I received over 20,000 emails from associates around the world. Wow. All similar saying, congratulations, tell us what you need. And so I think I knew about the strength of the culture and the passion of our associates, but any lack of confidence I had 
has evaporated over the last two years, as I see every day when I'm out traveling around the world, the passion of our people is, is really encouraging. I have learned that the wisdom and the institutional knowledge of our leadership around the world is invaluable to a newly seated CEO, particularly one that was seated during such a challenging confluence of events. I used to know that Marriott folks tended to be long tenured, but I think I've developed an appreciation of the value of that long tenure, the value of the deep institutional knowledge that they've developed, the value of the multi-decade relationships they have with our guests and our partners, and the value of having been battle-tested. You look across our leaders around the world, they've been through multiple recessions. They've been through the Great Recession. They've been through the impact of a, a tragedy like 9-11 on the travel and tourism sector. And the ability as I continue to grow into this role to lean so heavily on that long-tenured, wise, battle-tested leadership team has been of, of great comfort. Let's finish where we started. Let's finish on optimism. And just before we came on air here, you gave me this wonderful story about your great love of Italy and, and of service. So share that story with us, and then, then I'm going to let you go. So last week, I participated in a panel discussion with the AH&LA here in Washington. And uh, Chip Rogers, who, who leads AH&LA at the end, asked each panelist what our hope was for 2023. And when he got to me, uh, I considered the question because there are lots of ways I could have answered. But ultimately, the answer I chose was I hope that as an industry, we can continue to educate the general population about the nobility of jobs in service. And as I thought about that answer, I thought about my travels through Italy, where one of the great delights of traveling in that country is you meet these characters. You meet these waiters and bartenders and housekeepers and doormen who've been in those jobs for 20, 30, 40, 50 years not as a temporary job, not as a stepping stone to a future job, but because they have such deep passion for the service of others, that uh, that's a mindset and a culture that I think we would do well as an industry to replicate and educate around in every corner of the globe. Tony, that's a lovely answer. Hope to see you next time in Italy for a glass of something, yeah? <laughs> I've got a small farm there. We'd love to host you. Oh. There you go. Even better. Listen, I'm going to let you go. It's been wonderful speaking to you. Thank you so much. So much insight for our listeners. Charles, thanks so much for having us and uh, safe travels and get back out there on the road. All right. Very good. Thank you, Tony. All, All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Outside In is hosted by Charles Travail, Executive Chairman of the Interbrand Group which includes Interbrand, the world's leading brand consultancy, and C-Space, a global customer agency. Outside In is produced by Daniel Sills. If you like what you hear, share this episode with a friend or colleague, or leave us a review wherever you listen to Outside In.